0: This talk is brought to you by the Thomistic Institute. For more talks like this, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. Uh, the topic we're looking at is
1: uh, feelings.
0: Maybe not so intellectual sounding for a Thomist, maybe. But uh, uh, The topic I gave the title is, See You Are Not What You Feel. Because I, I think that, I think and I don't feel maybe, but I think that... Uh, one of the greatest dangers in the moral life, and even just to psychological health, is to think that you are what you feel. Uh, and so tonight I want to clear up that confusion and show what you really might be. Uh, thinking that you are what you feel can lead to despair, uh, guilt, self hatred, uh, and uh, so. Freeing yourself from this vision of uh, you are what you feel can be a great boon. Uh, So, what's what's really at issue here is a distinction in St. Thomas Aquinas between the will and emotions. I'm going to put this feeling here in the emotions, and I think that's the way we usually talk about it in English is uh, our emotions, we also call them feelings. Uh, And so I'll use the terms interchangeably. Uh, St. Thomas himself uses this term passions, which in English conveys very strong feelings or very strong emotions, uh, but not in the Latin that Aquinas is dealing with, right? So, uh, but I think it's better than to leave it with emotions. So the error we're looking at is you are what you feel, you are what your emotions are, and the way to get out of that error is to recognize that there's another important part of you that we're going to call the will. Really, another distinction that we're going to need here, another uh, powers that we're going to look at, powers that we have, capacities that we have, not reasons, but reason, and the imagination. And really look at four different uh, powers that Aquinas talks about that human beings have and try to sort them out and figure out how they play within the moral life. So I uh, am going to Try my hand at art here, which isn't going to be too uh, great, perhaps. But uh, this is the profile of somebody. Maybe it looks a little bit simian, perhaps. But uh, at any rate, this is a profile of somebody. So, uh, and uh, what we want to distinguish is between the head and the heart. Uh, these are just images, really. Here, uh, the uh, head gives us uh, what I will call knowing power. And that's going to be these two down here reason and imagination is knowing power. And and the heart uh, is uh, going to be desiring powers. So, the difference between these two knowing powers is uh, well, you know the world around you with with your knowing powers. Uh, You take in the world, is fundamental to Aquinas' notion here. So, you have, uh, you know, The room around you, the people around you, you're aware of them, right? You are in some sense uh, taking them into your mind, right? Uh, And the contrast to that is in the desiring powers which move out. So here you're moving out towards the world in some way or other. So that's the biggest contrast between them. Uh, So to get a picture between the two, uh, if uh, you know you're aware of a spider, Uh, then uh, you might know various facts about the spider. You might see it move and so on. Uh, But if you happen to have a phobia of spiders, uh, or at least a kind of aversion towards them, you're going to feel, well, fear or uh, disgust or something like that. Just knowing about the spider is one thing, but when you desire, when you have the fear, then your, your movement is to do something in the world, right? So that's where you get into the desiring powers. That's the difference between the two kinds of uh, powers, uh, the two broad categories of powers, and we're gonna divide each of them uh, into uh, uh, two, the will and the emotions for the desiring power and reason and imagination for the knowing power. So uh, we're gonna to have to, if we wanna put this pictorially, we'll have to divide the heart, I suppose, right? So you have got to have within the heart uh, the will and uh, the emotions, although quite frankly, a lot of times I draw this with two hearts, which isn't maybe anatomically correct, but it uh, <laughs> might convey in Aquinas' mind a little bit better what we're talking about because there is really quite a massive divide between emotions and will. It's not just like two parts of one heart. They're, they're really quite distinct from one another. So we'll start with the emotions because I think that's what we're all most familiar with. Uh, so the emotions, which we call our feelings, uh, we we move out to things, we react to things, and uh, what's very important about the emotions is uh, that they involve this bodily element. Right. So uh, your heart starts beating faster when you're afraid, or uh, uh, maybe you get embarrassed and blood rushes to your skin, and everybody sees you turn red or something like that. These are bodily changes that are taking place if you're afraid your muscles tense up. Uh, So what's going on here is the body is preparing for action because remember that's what emotions do they move out so you're going to go to action right. So there's this bodily element uh, involved uh, in emotions which we're going to find is going to be absent in the will. And another element of this is that we are sensibly aware, and that's why we call them feelings, right? So what do I mean by sensibly aware? Well, uh, we have this kind of awareness of our own bodily states, right? So if you're afraid, you feel the fear, right? You're sensibly aware of these changes that are taking place in you, in some obscure way, typically, right? Uh, You don't know precisely what the changes are involved. Uh, But uh, sometimes you feel it quite Locally, like if you do get embarrassed and your face flushes your face feels warm and you feel that right? Uh, But a lot of times your heart is just beating faster and you don't maybe quite know That uh, this is something that you're sensibly aware of but you are sensibly aware and that's again why we give this name Feelings right you feel this bodily change that is taking place within you Uh, and uh, Another thing about the emotions that's very important for St. Thomas is that emotions are shared with the animals. Uh, so uh, for Aquinas, emotions are a broad category of things, uh, from simple desire to fear and hope and anger. Uh, he, he lists quite a variety of different emotions. And uh, most animals, most at least higher animals, uh, have... Uh, the same emotions that human beings would have. So uh, if you look like at a dog or a cat, the dog or a cat will have desires, will have uh, enjoyment, uh, will have fear, uh, will have hope or anger. And if you look at some basic animal like a worm or a cockroach, uh, they're gonna be a lot more limited in their emotions, no doubt. But I would say they even have, they still have some emotions. They have some desire. Desire for food, for instance, might be something that they have so these are shared with the animals now uh, the will not uh, so moving up to the will soon. the will Aquinas also calls the rational or intellectual appetite and we'll see uh, a connection to reason uh, as we go on and look at uh, the knowing powers and then make a comparison between all of them so uh, the the will does not have this bodily component. It is, as far as St. Thomas is concerned, a spiritual power, you might say. Okay, so uh, there will be two spiritual powers that human beings have. Aquinas would say, and that is reason and the will. Uh, and so, and this will r- result in them not being shared with the animals. Uh, both of these two powers will not be shared with the animals. So the will. Uh, you're not gonna feel it, right? So uh, you make choices with your will, that's what in our day and age we most of all think of. For Aquinas, that's, you know, that's certainly important, but, but the will is a lot more than just something that we make choices with, with for Aquinas. But if you think about your choices, you're aware of them, but you don't feel them the way you feel your emotions, right? So uh, and Aquinas says, well, you can't feel them because they don't involve this bodily change the way that emotions involve a bodily change. So uh, that's why you'll never feel your acts of will. But one result of that is is we as human beings, uh, we we pay more attention to what we feel, to what we sense, right? So so if we are bodily and spiritual beings, as St. Thomas says we are, well... Unfortunately, we pay a lot more attention to our bodies than to our spiritual element. It's a general rule, right? Uh, And uh, it can be that same way here between the emotions and the will. We pay a lot more attention to the emotions because we can feel them than we do to the will, which we cannot feel. So the will is this non-bodily power, spiritual power. We're aware of it but we're not gonna be aware of it with our senses. W- what we're gonna be aware with it is, is with our reason here, which again, we'll talk about shortly. And very importantly for Aquinas, uh, the will is what finally and ultimately moves us to act. At least if we have time to think about it, which typically we do, right? So uh, sometimes we just immediately react to a situation without thinking and, and then Aquinas might say, well, the will doesn't come into play. But, Uh, But if we have time to think about it, uh, the will is what finally moves us to act, right? So this would be the key in saying you are not what you feel, right? So, you know, suppose, for instance, uh, you uh, are presented with a nice big bowl of ice cream, and uh, maybe it's not advisable for you to eat it, Uh, maybe because uh, you'll gain weight or... It wouldn't be good for your health otherwise, whatever it might be, Uh, uh, but what you have in the emotions in this situation, let's say, is, well, you desire, right? And you feel this desire, but what are you finally going to do? What you're finally going to do depends upon what you choose to do. It doesn't depend upon what you feel, right? You feel like eating the bowl of ice cream, but you don't have to. The bottom line is, what are you going to do with your will? What are you going to choose to do? Uh, The will is this very special power in Aquinas um, by which you determine for yourself what you are going to do. I'm going to talk a little bit about love here. (coughs) This word, uh, so the word love is a very fluid word. you, you can use it to say, well, I love ice cream. i uh, given my example just there. Or you could say, well, Mother Teresa loves the poor. Well, You mean two quite dramatically different things when you say so, you lo- somebody loves ice cream and somebody loves another human being, right? Uh, same word being used, so you kind of have to watch out here. I'm going to be uh, concerned with uh, <coughs> the use of love that refers to <coughs> love of others. <coughs> Excuse me, not the acquisitive love where you want to get something like ice cream, right? Uh, But uh, where you love other human beings. And uh, the point I want to make is that this love is found ultimately in the will, not in the emotions. Now we can have nice warm emotions, nice warm feelings towards other human beings, uh, and uh, that's a good thing. Uh, some people are, are very negative about the emotions. Aquinas is, is uh, I think, a lot more balanced. He will recognize there are lots of ve- there's a lot of value to the emotions. Uh, my point here isn't to downgrade uh, when you have uh, a, uh, a nice feeling towards somebody. Uh, that can be a very good thing. But ultimately, true love and the deepest sense of love, love of other human beings, is not going to be a feeling. It's going to be found in the will. So it's going to be found in uh, the spiritual power in the will. Um, The way uh, that I like to get at this is what I call contrast situations, uh, where there's a kind of struggle between uh, the emotions and uh, love. Uh, So... Uh, Just think of a good friendship, and we sometimes say friendship is tried and tested in hard times, right? Uh, Well, why is that? Well, it's because in those hard times, the emotions kind of give up, you might say, right? The emotions kind of turn against the friend in a way. Uh, But the question is not how do you feel at the moment of the hard times, but what do you do? What do you choose to do? That's where you're going to find your love, right? Uh, This can be especially the case within, say, marriage. Marriage we associate a lot of times with a very strong emotion, romantic love, right? And uh, certainly in the United States, uh, we see marriage as at least starting with romantic love, right? But, uh, you know, romantic love doesn't stick throughout the marriage, right? It uh, it comes and goes, right? But... uh, uh, our emotions tend to be kind of fickle, and so within marriage, at various times, you'll feel anger, irritation, disgust, uh, and those aren't very positive emotions, right? Uh, and, and so this gives us a kind of conflict situation. Well, do you really love your spouse when you're feeling these things? Well, if you've got this mistaken notion, I am what I feel, then you're going to tell yourself, I don't love my spouse anymore because I've got these negative feelings, right? But you aren't what you feel. Uh, and uh, ultimately, we're going to place what you really are in the will there, right? So, But, but within a good marriage, uh, and there are plenty of them out there, within a good marriage, Through these difficult emotions, these kind of negative emotions, uh, what really matters is uh, that uh, you still seek the good of your spouse. And how do you seek that? You seek that in the will. So those are uh, more everyday examples. Uh, More dramatic examples are found in, uh, you know, sort of heroic individuals. Uh, I like the uh, examples of... uh, Uh, Father, or St. Damien de Voister, who uh, was uh, a priest in the Hawaiian Islands uh, when there was an outbreak of leprosy. And uh, they formed a leper colony, and the bishop asked for volunteers to go there, and uh, he went there. Uh, And uh, at this point, you might say just about all of his emotions were against helping those, because there was disgust from the appearance, the smell uh, of the individuals. Uh, And there was also a kind of, uh, you know, anger and resentment, because he was actually rejected by the lepers who were there, because he wasn't one of them, right? Uh, And so, however much he tried to help them, Uh, They kind of rejected him. So he had all these kind of negative emotions going on, but he stuck it through, right? So uh, you see his love ultimately not in those emotions, uh, which he expresses in various letters uh, and such, but uh, you see it in what he does, what he chooses to do with his will. Another example of this is uh, Mother Teresa, who uh, we are more familiar with perhaps. Uh, who, you know, spends, uh time one-on-one with uh, uh, the poorest of the poor, as she describes it. And uh, what do we have in her emotions? Well, we have some of those very negative emotions uh, of uh, disgust and uh, things like this. Uh, but interestingly, we know about her now, uh, a lot of what we had was simply emptiness in the emotions, right? So... Uh, the Emotions were kind of uh, abandoned her uh, when she started her mission to the poor. But that didn't mean that she didn't love them, right? So she loved them and what really mattered uh, in, in the will. So uh, when we're talking about uh, emotions and will, uh, there are lots of areas I could focus on. But I, I wanted to focus on love because I think that's one of the most important areas. Uh, where, we, where we really find love, uh, love of others, uh, is in the will, and we find that uh, even when the emotions are negative. Now, of course, a lot of times the emotions are, are, are positive in love as well. I, I just picked these sort of conflict situations to make it more evident to us that, uh, well, what really matters in the love is not in the emotions but in love. So what we truly are uh, through all of this then Is in your will Uh, If you feel angry at somebody uh, You still have to choose what to do. Are you going to yell at your friend because you're angry or are you going to try to calm yourself down and uh, Talk reasonably with your friend. Uh, This is a choice that's up to you And you don't have to define yourself by your anger. That's the error that I'm trying to overcome, is defining yourself by what you feel. A way of putting what I've been saying is uh, there's a difference between sin, or if one doesn't like that theological term, then wrongdoing and temptation. Difference between sin and temptation so temptation is is when you're being pulled and led towards sin towards wrongdoing and a lot of times the emotions are involved with that not always but a lot of times the emotions are drawing us on to wrongdoing so if you're angry at your friend and you really shouldn't be angry at your friend You've got this emotion uh, pulling you to yell at your friend, and that's kind of a temptation now that uh, you're faced with, right? Uh, but uh, that's not yet sin, right? Sin is when you go carry through and uh, choose to act on this temptation. Or at least, Aquinas will say, uh, when you choose not to do something about the emotion. I'll talk more about that later, but right now we can just look at it as you choose not to, uh, uh, you choose to act on the uh, temptation, and that brings you to sin. Uh, You can can feel that anger, and there may be very little that you can do about it, but we'll talk about what you can do about it later on, but uh, you can feel that anger, and again, if you define yourself by what you feel, you might say, well, gee, I'm a, I'm a bad person, right? Uh, and, and that's, uh, well, again, what I'm trying to overcome in this talk is, no, you aren't necessarily a bad person just because you have a bad feeling, right? The question is, what do you choose to do? Right? Uh, where do you go with that? Now, with all this distinction between will and emotions, uh, we, sh- we should note, and we'll note more as we go along, that... While they're distinct from one another, they're certainly interconnected, right? So, uh, certainly, the choices that we make is a lot of times influenced by the emotions that we feel, right, and Pius thinks that uh, this is almost always the case, that our choices are influenced by the emotions that we feel, influenced but not necessarily determined by the emotions that we feel, right? So if you feel angry, you might go ahead and choose to yell at your friend, right? Uh, Because the emotions have drawn you on, right? Uh, But in the end, as I suggest, we can do something about that. And that's gonna depend upon understanding these other powers, reason and imagination. So we'll go on to that. So here we can divide again between the knowing powers of reason And imagination, I want to put that pictorially, (coughs) again dividing between them two. So uh, interesting, Aquinas calls imagination a sense power. Uh, We talk about the five senses, the five external senses, and then uh, modern psychologists uh, will also talk about an internal sense of of bodily uh, traits. Part of that would be that. Uh, Feeling that you have with emotions, but even just being aware Where your legs are where your hands are that's considering kind of internal sense as far as modern psychology is concerned but we don't uh, We don't typically talk about imagination as a sense power Aquinas does because he thinks there's a big divide between Reason on the one hand as a knowing power uh, and then all the powers by which we know individual things which is first of all the senses right so again the five external senses we know the things around us and then we retain what we have sensed okay so you sense lots of things and you retain that sometimes we talk about memory so uh, you you can recall things that you sensed yesterday that memory Aquinas will call an internal sense power doesn't work too well with our modern lingo, but that's uh, uh, just what you'll find if you're reading Aquinas. That's, that's uh, what he will speak of it as. So, so uh, this uh, memory is, re- is storing, in effect, uh, what you have sensed, but it's still then knowing particular things. And imagination, interestingly, fits into that category as well, because uh, still that's from things that you have sensed and you stored them. It's just now not tied to a particular experience. So, so if you remember a cat that you saw yesterday, that's your memory because you're tying it to a particular sensation. If you imagine a cat, well, you're not tying it to a particular sensation of a cat, right? And so we don't call it memory, but it's still storing things that have been sensed previously. You know, you, you have to have sensed cats before before you can imagine a cat, right? So imagination and memory in Aquinas' mind uh, are linked in that way, uh, that they're still dealing with particular things, only when you imagine the cat, it's not really this or that particular cat, it's just uh, a a cat uh, still considering particular details, but not tying it to a particular instance of it. In English, we tend to use the word imagination meaning that we put things together in a new way. So you imagine a 10-headed monster or something like that. You've never actually seen a 10-headed monster. Still, it's dependent upon sensation because you've seen heads before, right? And now you're putting them together in a new way. So it's still very much dependent upon sensation. Uh, But it is uh, putting together in a new, new way. For Aquinas, imagination doesn't have to be putting together in a new way. It can be. But uh, for him, uh, just thinking of a cat, not some particular cat that you've experienced in the past, but just imagining a cat, we would say, right, is part of imagination, even if you're not putting things together in any new way. So, you know, if we speak of artistic imagination, we're we're very much emphasizing (coughs) this putting together in a new way. But imagination, as we're using it here, is just really kind of storing things that we've sensed in the past. Uh, Aquinas will say the imagination is a power uh, that's shared with the animals. So in that sense it will be like the emotion, so it's shared with the animals. And I'll I'll have to confess, I'm using the word imagination in a kind of broader way than Aquinas would use it. So if you actually read the text of Aquinas, uh, he sometimes uses it in this broad way that I'm I'm using it, but he also has a, a, a much narrower technical meaning. So the way I'm using it, uh, he actually lists four internal, internal sense powers, uh, and I'm kind of lumping three of those together and giving them the name imagination, right? Uh, but uh, he, does, he does do that himself sometimes, so it's, it's not like I'm completely abusing Aquinas here. But I don't think it's worth my while to delve into uh, you know, the, the nitty-gritty details of how imagination differs from these other two sense powers, right? So it's shared with the animals, and and because it's this broader meaning, uh, it involves, uh, you know, some of the clever behavior that animals can do, right? So animals can do some amazing things because this imagination includes, uh, it includes what we would call instinct today, right? So Klein's notion of of this broad sense of imagination. Uh, it inco- includes uh, memory uh, uh, and association, animals learn to associate things and so on. So animals have this, uh, this imagination and it gives them uh, some quite amazing uh, mental capacities. But ultimately they do not have uh, reason, uh, this other capacity here, where again Aquinas is gonna say, uh, reason is not bodily imagination, like the senses is tied to the body, Tied to the brain, we would say, and Peter Aquinas knew. To the brain as well. So, uh, reason is a spiritual power by which we know the world around us. Remember, knowing powers—you're aware of the world around you. You take in the world, right? So, we're we we understand that quite straightforwardly. I think with uh, sensation, but but with reason, uh, well, you figure things out about the world. And you're knowing about the world. So, you know, we say that the table you're sitting at is made out of atoms, for instance, right? Well, you don't sense the atoms. You use your reason to figure it out. I mean, probably not you, uh, but some scientist has, right? And you probably just trust the scientists. But at any rate, human beings have used their reason to figure out lots of things about the world. And, and we do this all the time on a basic uh, day-to-day basis. Uh, quite simple uh, examples of it. Uh, and bringing in the emotions, uh, say, uh, you know, you're with your friend and your friend yells at you uh, and you say, well, my friend is angry at me. Well, you didn't actually sense that. What you sensed is the yelling, right? So you use your reason to figure out, oh, you know, you know what it is to be angry yourself. You know that you're angry. You, you yell at people. And so you, you read some conclusions about uh, your friend actually having... Uh, anger. So we're using this in important ways throughout our days. So it doesn't have to be you know, profound scientific discovery, though it can be, right? Pani says, with reason we can understand the natures of things and the causes of things. So this will be very important. Uh, understanding the causes of things. That example I just gave, you know, understanding the cause of your friend yelling at you is this anger that they have, right? So you're getting at the causes of reason is found in human beings alone, right? Animals do many clever things, but the difference between human beings and animals, uh, if we just look at behavior, is still quite profound, right? Again, animals do lots of clever things, but one does not find them you know, doing algebra or building rockets or computers or anything of this sort. Right? So uh, the difference is very profound. And I says, well, there's a reason for that. The reason is we have a capacity that they do not have, right? We can understand the natures of things. We can understand the causes of things. Part of this understanding that will be important for the moral life is that we can understand what is good and evil, uh, what is good and evil, and what is good and evil for human beings. So uh, we can understand uh, that uh, it's uh, evil to kill the innocent, or maybe we understand that. Uh, it's wrong of us to yell at our friend, right? So we can understand these things. We understand that it's good to help those who are in need uh, or something along that line. So uh, we can, in, in this bringing in the world, uh, taking in the world, that involves understanding lots of things. And one of the important things is understanding uh, what is right, what is wrong, what is good, and what is evil. That's the subject of another talk. So uh, all right, so how then do these four powers relate to one another? is the next question that I want to ask. How do these four powers relate to one another? Well, kind of says uh, there's a kind of uh, link between imagination and the emotions and between reason and the will. So imagination gives rise to the emotions. And reason gives rise to the acts of the will. The idea underlying uh, for both of these is uh, the notion that before we desire something, we have to know in some way that it's good. Right? It can be pretty minimal. Maybe you've never had pizza before and your friends tell you, oh, why don't you try pizza? It's good you trust your friends, you don't really have very much first-hand experience of pizza, uh, but you know something about it from your friends, namely that it's good, and so you're willing to, you desire it. Now, once you've had it, maybe then you desire it more because you know more about it, right? So, so in, you have to know something about something being good in order to desire it. So you're always going to find some knowing power preceding the desiring power. And for the emotions, it's the imagination that most formally precedes the emotions, right? And for the will, it is reason that most formally precedes uh, will. That being said, we should note that the imagination can fall under reason, can be guided by reason, Because reason, being this higher power, understanding the natures of things, and understanding the uh, the causes of things, uh, can uh, understand what is imagined in light of the causes and the nature of things. So you you can imagine a cat, but you can also, while you're imagining the cat, have some understanding of what a cat is. It's an animal, it's a mammal, or something along that line. You can have some understanding of what it is. What you're really doing is taking your rational understanding of a cat and applying it to what you're imagining, right? So what you imagine fits under reason. And that being the case, the emotions, yeah, what what they first of all follow is the imagination, but the imagination can be formed by reason, so the emotions can also follow reason, right? follow reason in conjunction with imagination right not just reason by itself but uh, they can follow reason uh, uh, forming imagination would be the way of putting it so uh, if uh, what you have is uh, say a frightening image you're watching a horror movie or something like that you have a frightening image uh well you might have the emotion of fear coming right then out of the imagination, right? Now, fear is a pretty powerful emotion, but it's still possible that you could then look at this rationally and say, uh, well, really, this is just a movie and it's nothing real. And so that might then lessen your fear, right? If you can step back with your reason, forming and shaping what the, the imagination is presenting to you. So the emotion then can be affected by reason. I'll talk more about that a little bit later here. So the idea here is uh, we are not what we feel, and that's important to recognize. Uh, but it's also important to recognize that we can do something about our feelings. Uh, a lot of times it's fairly limited, but we can do something about our feelings. So, uh, I like to take the example of anger while driving, uh, because I think most of us Americans <laughs> have experienced that at any rate, right? So we get angry while driving. So suppose you're driving along and somebody cuts in front of you, and you start cursing and saying, that idiot, or something like that, right? You, you've got this emotion of anger that's uh, sort of boiling up inside of you. Now you can do something about that anger. So that anger is there. One thing you can uh, do here is, well, you can at least not act on it, right? Uh, You cannot act on it. Again, I said you don't have to yell at your friend when you're feeling the anger. So that's one thing. But you can actually modify the anger itself, modify the emotion itself. And that's what I'm going to look at now. You can do that because of what I just said, that the imagination can fall under reason, right? And and be, uh, in a sense... Uh, controlled by reason. So, uh, you know, when you're angry at somebody, it's very helpful when you're trying to uh, deal with your emotions to understand them better, right? Uh, And uh, Aquinas talks actually a lot about the emotions and what causes them and things along that line, and that can be very important stuff. What he says about anger is that uh, you get angry when you think you've been put down by somebody else. You get angry when you think you've been put down by somebody else. And so, uh, in effect, this guy is cut in front of you, and it's sort of like, well, who does he think he is cutting in front of me, huh? You've been put down by him in some way or other, right? Uh, so, But once you know that, that this is what gets you angry, is when you think you've been put down, you can look at it in a more rational way. Uh, so here are some possible ways that you could do it. Not an exhaustive list by any means, but... Uh, you can recognize that you really haven't been put down that much. Right? It's not that big of a deal that this person cut in front of you. right? So if you think that you've been put down a lot, you were up here and this guy put you way down here, well, then that's going to shoot the anger way up. But if in fact you think, well, I really haven't been put down that much, then the anger might diminish. Right? Uh, another way is uh, actually to put yourself down, right, uh, because uh, you feel like you've been put down because you think you're so down high to begin with, right? Uh, pride is is oftentimes underlying our anger, right? We think we're important, and then uh, so we're more easily wounded and, and think we're put down. So you might say to yourself, uh, well, you know, I'm not the best driver out there either, and I make some bad moves here and there, right? So you put yourself down, and by putting yourself down, then again, you're not feeling like you're slighted as much by uh, that other driver. And again, your anger might be diminished. Now, I say might be, and I say diminished, possibly you get rid of it, right? That's a possibility. But Aquinas is very realistic, and he says, look, we don't have complete control of our emotions, right? So we can't just turn them on and turn them off. We might be able to do the sorts of things that I suggested where we can modify them, lessen them, sometimes if they're bad emotions, even entirely get rid of them. But a lot of times, it doesn't work, uh, unfortunately. Right? But again, remember, you're not what you feel. Right? You're not what you feel. But a lot of times you, you try, but you can't get rid of that anger, right? This is a lot of times because you got a habit of of being an angry person, say, for instance, and habits take a while to get uh, overcome, right? So I'll talk about that as well. So, uh, But it's important to know that you can do something, and then it's also important to know, I think, that if you fail, it's not the end of the world, right? Uh, because you are not what you feel. So, yeah, I mean, one one scenario here is you say, oh, I'm angry at this guy, I'm going to try and lessen my anger. And again, uh, you know, uh, Aquinas didn't talk about this, but uh, but some realistic things are like, you know, people say, you know, take some deep breaths if you're angry. I think that's right, that's that's helpful, right? Uh, though, again, that's not in Aquinas, but though he does say things like taking a warm bath helps mm-hmm. sorrow. Okay. <laughs> Uh, interesting, yeah. But uh, at any rate, um, so uh, so you try various things, but it doesn't seem to work. Right? So sometimes it will, but sometimes it won't. So at the end, when it doesn't get to, it doesn't seem to work, uh, one reaction you could have is you could really get down on yourself, kind of angry at yourself. And, oh, I can't control myself here, so I can't control my anger. But again, you are not what you feel. Right? You are not what you feel. Uh, you are ultimately what you find in the will, and the question is, what are you going to choose to do at the end of it? Um, so, what we have here so far is reason and imagination affecting emotions, and the, and the will is going to follow some judgment of what's good of reason. right? Some judgment of what's good of reason uh, is what ultimately the will is going to Could be a bad judgment, might make a bad judgment as we'll see. Now, things go the other way as well. These desiring powers influence our knowing powers. So, emotions can influence the judgment of reason. Emotions can influence the judgment of reason, very much so. So, if uh, you are angry uh, at somebody, you, know, you might feel like uh, yelling at them. And then you might judge that yelling at them would be a good thing with your reason. You might judge that, right? Uh, what's gone on here is that the emotion has affected your judgment of reason because, well, satisfying emotions is partly good, right? It's not the full good by any means, but it's partly good. Uh, and so reason can follow along and say, yeah, that's good to yell at this person because that satisfies my emotion of anger. So here you've got not reason shaping the emotion, but the emotion shaping reason. Right? So uh, this can happen as well. And because it shapes reason and the will follows reason, then the emotion can lead the will on. So once you judge that, yes, it would be a great thing to yell at this person, With your reason, well, then you might go ahead and choose to yell at the person, right? Because uh, your judgment ultimately influences uh, what you choose to do. So the will will be influenced by the judgments of reason, which might themselves be influenced by the emotions. But the will can also influence the other way around, right? Because, uh, and I've already been describing this really, because... The will is what you ultimately choose to do things with and so you can actually choose to focus upon this or that thing with uh, your will. So you can choose to think about how it's not that big of a deal that this person cut in front of me or you can choose to think about how you're not the best driver in the world, right? So you can uh, choose to do that. Now again, Making that choice may not stop, in the next moment, the old thoughts from creeping up, rising up. Uh, I like to use the example of fear here. So if you're a fearful person, uh, it's not too good to live in an old, creaky house, I suppose, right, So if you're a fearful person. So every creak you hear, uh, is that an intruder or something like that? Right Now, you can use a reason and probably say, Yeah, There's no good reason to suppose there's intruders here, but let's face it the emotion of fear is a powerful emotion So after you say that with your with you make that choice with your will to move your your reason to think You know more rationally about it the very next moment. You might be going back to You know worrying about the next creep that you hear in the house, right? So uh, but still you can with your will choose to think about certain things and that is ultimately The way that you will then modify the emotions, as I've already described them. Now, the last thing that I want to emphasize is that all of this leads to the formation of habits, really changing here our desires, and in particular the emotions, but in the will as well over the long run. So I said, well, even right here and now, in the immediate moment, you can do something about your emotions. You can calm your anger, right? Uh, You can do something about it, right? That's a possibility. As I've pointed out, well, it might not always work that great, but you do have some uh, uh, power to uh, control this to some degree. And that's a very important one we need that, but as I said that might fail in any given instance you might not succeed and part of the reason it might not succeed is because of your habits and your habits here are not just mere physical habits. <coughs> we sometimes think of a habit like uh, you know uh, something like uh, flicking on a switch or flicking off a switch as you leave the bathroom. I uh, like to use the example when my daughter was about to, three or four years old and taking a bath, and I left the bathroom and I flipped off the switch and uh, then heard screams <laughs> coming out of the bathroom, and So, uh, So that was, we speak of that being a habit, but really more profoundly and more importantly, a habit is a habit of thinking or desiring in some way. Habit, and so sometimes we talk about smoking as a habit. Uh, That has an element of desire, but also has this sort of physical component of a kind of addiction to it, right? Uh, And uh, even when one doesn't have that physical component of addiction, one can have habits of thinking or desiring. And so you might be a very angry sort of person. You've got a habit in the emotion of anger that this is a kind of immediate response that you have, Right. Uh, And so that habit is there, and that makes it hard for you to control your anger right here and now in the current situation. Not impossible, but it makes it harder for you to do so. But what's important here is that habits are formed over time by repeated choices, uh, and you can change your habits. So if you are an angry person, you are not what you feel, not only in the sense that you're not what you feel right here and now, You're angry right here and now, but you're also not what you feel, bottom line, with the habits that you have, if you have a habit of being an irritable person, because you can change your emotions in the long run. Now, you do this by changing them immediately in the current situation, but doing that repeatedly, because that's how habits are formed. You repeatedly act in a certain way and habits come to be formed, right? Uh, And so, if you repeatedly attempt to control your anger, repeatedly attempt to control your anger, uh, over time, you can change this. This is not a New Year's resolution where starting January 1st, I'm not gonna be an angry person, right? It's gonna take time, lots of time. Years, it's a lifetime project, uh, in fact, right? Changing who we are and the emotions that we have. Uh, but I have had, you know, uh, people come to me, older people, those of you who are younger, um, you know, you're in a nice state because your habits are not really set, you know, firmly in, sta- in stone, so to speak, so you can change them more easily but you also have less experience of of changing them. Uh, Those of us who are older, our emotions are more fixed, and uh, it's a harder project to uh, modify them as you go along. But I have had uh, plenty of people, again, typically older people, tell me things such as, yeah, when I was young, I was an angry person, and I worked on it, and now, I'm a very calm person, right? So uh, we can change who we are in the sense of what kind of habitual emotional responses we have to things, right? Uh, And within, say, psychology, uh, something like cognitive behavior uh, psychology, uh, the view there is very much along the lines of changing the habits. And in fact, by changing, they emphasize by changing the way we think about. Because by changing the way we think about things, we're also going to change the uh, way we feel or uh, desire them. That's the the cognitive is changing the thinking, the behavioral is changing down here in the emotions. Uh, And uh, so ultimately, uh, I would say uh, that uh, view within psychology fits very well within Aquinas' vision of things. So uh, we can change who we are over the long run, uh, and uh, we can change uh, what we do right here and now with our desires. It's important to recognize that sometimes the best we can do is just say, well, I'm not going to act on it. I'm going to ignore it, right? So if you're angry, you try to lessen that anger, it doesn't work. The best you can do is just not act on it, even though you... Are boiling inside and want to act on it right uh but even that in the long run has its effect right uh, it has its effect in the will because we have habits in the will as well sometimes we t- speak about strength of will and in that sense yeah uh, you you strengthen your your will's resistance to what you happen to feel at the moment but also, I think, in the long run, just not carrying through with the emotions ultimately will lessen that emotional response, right? So that you will more readily be able to take those other measures that I suggested and control the emotions. So I'm going to tie this now, in my last couple of seconds or minutes here, into uh, the moral life and to say... That in the moral life we look at we sometimes speak of virtues uh, so virtue of justice a uh, virtue of honesty a virtue of generosity uh, you know, a virtue of patience that's connected to anger I've been talking a lot about anger right so uh, and, and a lot of these virtues are really habits of desire right? a lot of the virtues are habits of desire. So if you want to become a good person, it's not an overnight project. It's not a New Year's resolution. It's a decision to try to change who you are. It's a lifetime project of changing who you are by some of the measures that I've suggested here. And so if you want to develop a virtue of generosity, uh, which for Aquinas is a virtue in which you uh, you know are, are quite... Uh, uh, eager and willing to give of your possessions uh, to others. So, I mean, there's one sense in which you just say, you know, you're kind of stingy. You you want to clutch onto the money, but you intellectually say, oh, but the just thing for me to do would be to, you know, give this money to this person. And you do it, okay? Aquinas says, well, you don't have the virtue of generosity. You might have the virtue of justice. You don't have the virtue of generosity, because generosity means you've got that habit in the emotions as well. Right? What if you don't? Are you a bad person? No, I wasn't saying you're a bad person. He's saying, look, you've got a ways to go. And we, most of us, do huh? <laughs> have a ways to go. And that it's a whole lifetime project of changing who we are. Changing who you are to become that generous person. Don't expect next month you'll be generous if you aren't now. Don't even expect next year he will be generous, but you might be more generous next year, more generous the year after that, if you're working on it. Right? And as it, more and more as you work on it, you approach uh, these virtues, and that's what the moral life is really all about.